You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Welcome, everyone, to the Bonfire Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us today. Uh, We're really excited that you are here uh, for this episode, and we hope that you will stay around for the episodes coming up. Um, The reason why we're so excited is we're getting ready to start a new series. Uh, We're going to start a series called Blessed Assurance, Mm -hmm. and we're going to be studying through the book of 1 John. And, you know, um, as I was studying this week and and getting ready for it, um, I just got really excited about the content here. Uh, The book, book of 1 John, although it's a small book, Man, it's got a lot of stuff, a lot of good material in it uh, that I think right. our, our listeners are going to enjoy. And so, it's one um, of my favorite books. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is becoming one of mine. Uh, I typically say my favorite book is always Romans, uh, just because there's so much there uh, that talks about what Jesus did for us. But uh, John, First uh, John, is is an excellent book as well. So uh, we're going to be doing these podcasts again weekly. Uh, they'll be dropping at our eight o'clock drop time on Sunday evenings, as they normally do. And uh, for the next several weeks, we will be in this Blessed Assurance podcast series, again, a study through First John. And so uh, this will take us probably at least uh, four weeks. It may take five or six weeks. We'll right. give it whatever time it, it takes to get through it, and we hope that you uh, will enjoy it. Um, another thing that we're going to start doing, uh, particularly for this series, is we, we've heard that some of our listeners are using this um, as kind of a springboard for their small groups. And so um, our goal is to, to come alongside you and to help you uh, in that goal. And so we're going to be having um, just some a couple tools and materials that we'll put out with each episode. Uh, most likely it'll be a few discussion questions uh, that you can either use as your personal study, uh, things to think about, or uh, they're really kind of tailored for you to get together with a couple of friends, a couple of listeners, and uh, to talk through those and share, um, you know, what, um, you know, God spoke to you about uh, through the study of First John. And so uh, be looking for that, um, how we're going to get that out. I've got to work on a little bit. Most likely you'll be able to pick that up from our Facebook page and we'll get it out um, to our different medias uh, so that you can grab those uh, those questions. So, um, man, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, this is yeah, me too. This is going to be good. So this mm-hmm. is, uh, again, a different approach uh, than what we've been doing. Um, but I think it's one that hopefully our listeners will find a lot of value out of. Right. You know, as we are getting ready to start a Bible study, um, and before we get into the content, I, I want to make sure, because we've probably got listeners of all phases of life. We've got folks who have been Christians for quite some time who are listening. Mm-hmm. we got those who are very early on in their faith. And then, um, you know, we probably got some folks that, that don't know anything about uh, the Bible or God right. or anything. Mm-hmm. And so they're searching, and they're going to be trying mm-hmm. to figure out exactly what they're doing. For those listeners who are maybe brand new to, to trying to pick up the Bible and read it and study it, can you give uh, some practical tips that would help them as they try to study the Bible? How would you recommend uh, someone study, say, First John? Well, before you look into uh, commentaries or maybe uh, even a, a, a Bible study book of some kind or a reference Bible, when you approach the Scripture, I think the first thing you need to do is pray because uh, God's Holy Spirit's the one that inspired this Word, and the Holy Spirit lives in every Christian. You know, apart from the Spirit of God, you can't understand the Word like God meant for you to understand the Word because it's His Word. And so when you pray and you ask God to give you guidance through the Spirit and give you understanding, He will do that. You have not because you ask not is what the Bible says. So you need to always start out 
Bible study time with prayer. And a lot of people, they think, well, I, I want to read through the Bible in a year. And that is a wonderful thing to do. You can read about three chapters a day and read through the Bible in a year's time. But I've often felt like that uh, quality is better than quantity. It might be based on the time allowance that you have in the morning before you go to work or in the evening that it would suit you better to read maybe one chapter or to read 15 or 20 verses. But before you read those verses, say, God, there's something in these verses of Scripture that that you want to say to me today. And so, Lord, help me to find something today that you are saying to me and help me to make application of what you told me to my life. That's the most important important thing, to listen to God from His Word. He speaks. This is His love letter to us. And then to make application according to what we, we what we read and what He's saying to us. Now, obviously, you need to supplement your Bible study with good Bible study tools. And there are a lot of uh, good references that you can find on Scripture on the Internet. Now, not everything's going to be right. Of course, you know. But I think if you allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, He'll lead you to some uh, good places to refer to, to give you some more background into uh, the Scripture before you read it. You have to read the Scripture in its context uh, to be able to understand it. So, Above all, pray. It's not how much you read. It is what you get from what you read. That's the main thing I'd like to say. Yeah, and that's some some great points. And, you know, I, f- I found this true in my own life uh, this year because I started on off of a goal to try and read through the Bible the, the whole year. And I found myself um, kind of falling into what you recommended is I, I just wasn't doing it because I would read a section of Scripture and I would go, I read that. I don't really understand what I read. Right. You know, I need to go back and, and try and figure it out. Um, or I would get really interested in it and I would say, okay, I'm going to do some little more investigation, uh, in that. And so, um, I got well off track from, from reading uh, the Bible through a year, but I feel much uh, more satisfied in what I'm reading because when I finish, it may be 10 verses, 20 verses, depending on, on the section of scripture I'm in. Right. Um, I feel like I've really, you know, spent time uh, dwelling over that. So that's, that's some great, uh, recommendations. The other thing that, uh, that I've started doing is reading a couple different translations. Now, mm-hmm. You know, I know translation of the Bible is a touchy subject for some folks. And, you know, we're uh, primarily, I use a, a new King, King James version. I like the King James version as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I usually try to read in a couple different versions, uh, not because the meaning changes in those versions, right. but sometimes just the use of, of different words helps me understand what's trying to be, uh, you know, portrayed there. Um, and so I'll, you know, read it through the new King James and then I'll read in the King James and then I may flip over to the NIV, um, similar to the internet. You have to be careful. Not all translations are created right. equal. That's and right. So, um, you know, I would encourage you to you know, to to find a good translation that's uh, been around for quite some time and you know has some history. And if you have any questions about that, you can shoot us an email. We'll give you at least the recommendations of the things that we do or the the translations that we use. And uh, again, not saying any any one translation is better than the other, but that's just something that I feel like may help our listeners right. as mm-hmm. uh, as we move forward in this. So. Well, um, we're going to go ahead and jump into to 1 John. And, and so as we start studying a book of the Bible, I feel like it's important for us to, as you said, you got to understand the context of which um, this, these verses were written. And mm-hmm. so yeah, a little bit of background always helps uh, to understand exactly what's going on and, and why these words were being written. Obviously, all these words are written for our benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though they were written you know, thousands of years ago, they're still applicable today. Mm-hmm. But it helps to understand kind of what was happening around that time so 
so that you get a better idea of what's going on. And and that's so true for First John. So for First John, we, we don't know exactly who wrote it. Um, most people attribute it to John, the son of Zebedee, uh, you know, the, the right. author of John, uh, the Gospel of John. And um, we don't know exactly when it was written, but based off of church history, we think it was sometime between uh, the year 85 and 95 AD. So mm-hmm. this would have been late in John's life. I think um, from the best records we have, he he passed away somewhere around 100 AD. Um, and so this would have been later in his in his uh, earthly or his his ministry, uh, rather. And we believe that he wrote this from Ephesus because, again, if you think about, uh, he went to Ephesus and then was exiled to the uh, to the island. Of Patmos, uh, which is where we get the book of uh, Revelation from. And so uh, we think that's where uh, this was written. And there was something going on at the time. John uh, was beginning to see that there was false teachers that were pop- popping up. Mm-hmm. And he he saw something coming. Um, he saw probably, uh, undoubtedly, there was already some issues that were coming up in the church. And so he wanted to address that. Um, interestingly enough, this uh, epistle, unlike other epistles, is not written to any one group. No, it's not written to a church. It's not written to a geographic area. It's a general epistle. It's written to to everyone. Um, and again, it's it's not like Ephesians, who was written to the church at Ephesus, or Corinthians, who was written to the church at Corinth. Uh, this was just written openly. And mm-hmm. and really, First John, if you had to sum it up, um, I mean, there's tons of theological truths in here. But really, the kind of what was behind it was uh, John was writing to combat an increasing threat of false teaching uh, that was coming from Gnostic heresy, and he, as well as he wanted to reassure and assure the Christians um, of their faith and their love in Jesus Christ. And that's why mm-hmm. we we named this series Blessed Assurance, uh, because really the whole book is, a, is about assurance and how do you know uh, that what you believe is true. And, that's right. Uh, he addresses that uh, head on. Now, for our readers or our listeners to to really understand, you know what's going on, we got to talk about Gnostics just for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I will admit, I knew little to nothing about this before I, you know, I started researching it. But what I found is that Gnostics taught uh, that Jesus was just an ordinary man. Um, they had a couple of different sects that uh, believed different things, mm-hmm. but they thought that maybe uh, he was an ordinary man that was possessed by Christ uh, for a period of time and ultimately left his body while he was on the cross. And he and they considered that uh, the physical body was sinful, so it couldn't have been, uh, you know, anything that was godly uh, mm-hmm. in the fact of Jesus in and of himself. And so, you know, it was one of those things where I saw it as basically an attempt to strip the deity from from Jesus Christ. And John really wanted to to head that on. And I know before we were talking, Dad, you you had done some research, and obviously you know a lot more about Gnostic uh, beliefs, but. What do you have to, to tell our listeners? Well, uh, one of the sects of uh, the Gnostics was the Docetists, and they believed that Jesus' body was not a real physical body. It only appeared to be so. And because it came from, you know, the Greek philosophy that the Bible, but that the body is evil. Something's wrong with the body. And so, like you said, they couldn't uh, conceive how God would have anything to do with a human flesh, the human body. So, John. When he wrote First John, it was some 60 years following the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. And, you know, most of the believers that his 
letter was written to were really, by this time, second and third generation Christians who had not had the privilege of knowing Jesus in the flesh. And so knowing that false teachers would come in and deny the humanity of Jesus, he countered these false teachers. John starts out his epistle by giving firsthand knowledge that Jesus was a real person who lived a real life in a real world. Yes, and you know that uh, that piece of them trying to strip away from from Jesus Christ and, and that belief system um, is really what provoked uh, John to write this. You know, and uh, so what we have here is a provoked response from uh, a man who Jesus called one of the sons of thunder. Okay, so yeah. he, he was known for being passionate. He was known for being bold and brave. And so uh, when we dive into this, you're going to see he approached this topic with passion. That mm-hmm. yes, Jesus is uh, was alive, and yes, Jesus was fully God. And he was fully man, and and he approaches that all when we get into those first few verses, which we're getting mm-hmm. ready to get into uh, just now. So, um, with that as the backdrop, um, again, we'll use this as, as the intro, but I also use it as the infomercial, commercial, whatever you want to refer to it as, for the next several weeks. You do not want to miss that's right uh, this as we as we dive in, and um, I'm sure that God's going to just speak to all of us uh, through this. So. Each lesson builds on the previous one. Each know? lesson builds on the previous one, and and that that is that is, uh, that is for sure. And so, Dad, we're gonna go ahead and jump right in, and and uh, you know, since this is our first one, we'll we'll figure it out. But yeah, I figured we're just gonna go right through, and and we'll start at verse uh, one, and we'll take this going forward. And so, um, I'll read it to uh, to uh, everyone. It says that which was from the beginning, uh, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. And our hands have held concerning the word of life, the word of life. Think about that for just a second. The life that was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, that which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So that's verses one and two. And, you know, this is where I I really uh, see John trying to take head on Gnostics, right? Right. Uh, because John, he knew Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, he talked with Jesus. He he had touched Jesus. He had learned from Jesus. I mean, he ate with Jesus. Right. Uh, he had laid his head on Jesus's chest. I mean, yeah, at the mean, Lord's Supper. Yeah. It, it it is something that he had experienced. He had mm-hmm. experienced Jesus, um, the Word of Life, that eternal life that was present from the foundation of the world, because we know that Jesus was there very first at the beginning of all this, uh, starting in our in our Bible. It says God mm-hmm. was there, and and He said we're going to make uh, people in our image. Jesus has mm-hmm. always been around. Uh, Jesus and God is life, and they were one and the same. And He wanted to make sure that everyone was clear about that. And there's one word that uh, John liked because uh, he uses it several times, and that's the word manifest. And um, so when I looked up the word manifest and tried to figure out, okay, what, what is what is manifest? What is it trying to say here? And, and the Webster's version of this says, uh, made clear or obvious, displayed or showed. Mm-hmm. And so what I really see John trying to say here is that God, the God, the one mm-hmm. true holy God, mm-hmm. uh, decided to come through history and to put himself in the cloak of humanity, and he manifested himself. He revealed himself. He showed himself That's to right. everyone uh, here on earth, and he did that in the body uh, of Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God at the same time. You know, the Gnostics, uh, they were not around at the time that Jesus was alive. John was there, and he's given the testimony to us of an eyewitness, and that's far more convincing than the high-flown philosophy of a spectator. I mean, he was actually there, like you said. 
You know, it's interesting to me, Matt, that John appealed to three different senses to support his claim. Uh, First was the auditory senses. In verse 1, John reminds his readers that he had heard Jesus. Second, John appealed to his visual senses. John used two words for seeing. First, the word seeing, which means to see with a physical eye. Like I said, John had been there. Uh, John also used the word looked upon, which refers to more than seeing. It is an intense scrutiny. It is uh, penetrating beyond the outward vision to discern inward facts. And then he appealed to the tactile senses, uh, the sense of touch. You know, John said in relation to Jesus in verse 1, our hands have handled, this means handled with a view of investigation. Only a physical body can be touched and handled. And you mentioned something a while ago that that he referred to Jesus as the word of life. That The word word refers to revelation or communication. Jesus is the ultimate word or communication with humanity. But notice that John describes Jesus as the word of life. You know, life tells us what Jesus gives, and you know, Jesus is the one that gives us life. Yeah, that that is true. And you know, I'm going to go real ahead, life, real know. life. That's right. Um, and you know, I'm going to give kind of a spoiler alert because throughout John, we see kind of three uh, uh, statements, and and those occur in other places. But we see that that God is life. Yeah, God is love, and God is light. So those are the three things that you know are going to appear uh, as we're studying uh, studying John there. Um, before we move on to verse three, Dad, anything else there on the, the first couple well, of verses? Well, when you come to Jesus, you not only discover God, you discover life, like you said. And real life doesn't begin with graduation or marriage or career or with retirement. Life, real life, begins with Christ. And John and the other disciples they bore witness to this. Now, when a person believes in and receives the word of life, certain things happen, fellowship and joy. Yep, fellowship and joy, and that's where we're going next. And verse 3, if you if you guys are following along with us, we'll read there. It says, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so, uh, let's think about fellowship there for just a minute. Fellowship means that we have something in common, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that that there is something that connects uh, you and me. That's what fellowship is about. And and if we think about it, as sinners, man had nothing in common with the Holy God, right? right? And mm-hmm. we were at odds. We were at enmity with each other. We were uh, enemies of each other. Mm-hmm. But God, in His grace, sent Christ uh, to have something in common. Uh, with man, he he Christ took on a human flesh. He put on humanity, and he came and he became God in manly form. And it's Jesus' sacrificial work on a cross, uh, which allows us to have fellowship with Him. Without Jesus, it's impossible for us to have fellowship with God, and it's also impossible for you and I to truly have fellowship as fellow believers without Jesus Christ. And I really feel like that's what mm-hmm. He was uh, trying to to drive home there in that point. You know, fellowship is God's answer to the loneliness of life. Oh, that's right. And, you know, I feel like there's so many people in our world today that are, they're lonely. You know, they can have uh, 600 friends on Facebook or they can have X number of followers on Instagram or Twitter or whatever it may be. Uh, but if you ask many of these people, they're still lonely inside. Right. And and that's because within everyone, there's just this, this void that was created. It was created by God. It's meant to be filled by God. And until God is there, we're relatively lonely in this life. Right, right. 
you know, thinking about uh, loneliness, loneliness is one of the major social problems today. Loneliness. People that are depressed, they feel lonely. You can be in a, a busy office, but you can still feel lonely. But when you have a a fellowship with God, oh, that's so that's so different. You're no longer lonely. You know He's with you all the time. You know, when you think about fellowship, John really knew what it was to fellowship with Jesus because you mentioned a while ago he sat next to Jesus and leaned upon his chest uh, at the table during the Last Supper in that upper room. He enjoyed a special closeness or fellowship with Jesus. One thing, thinking about John and who he was, you remember John and his brother James, you know, the Sons of Thunder, and Peter, they were in a a a special group. You know, Jesus allowed those three to go up on the mountain with him when he was transfigured. Yeah. You remember when Jesus went through the garden to pray the garden of Gethsemane, he allowed uh, Peter, James, and John to come in closer with Brother, him. Yeah. yeah, John knew what it was to fellowship with Jesus. Yes. You know, that fellowship is, is uh, it's one thing to say that you have fellowship uh, with one another um, and fellowship with Christ, but it's, it's actually deeper than that. Yes, because we are are now, as, as we accepted Jesus as our Christ, as our Lord and Savior, and we, we put our trust in Him, we have our faith, and we've been covered by grace that we've talked right. about in previous podcasts, we now become children or, or a child of God, and we're joint heirs with Christ, and now you and I are, are brothers and sisters in Christ with all of these listeners that yeah, are here. That's right. So we're not only just in fellowship, we're family. You know, I think about that when I think about my the sweet church I pastor. Uh, these people, you know, I, I moved here from another town. I'm not of uh, any blood relation to anybody in my in my church. Any of my members, they're not blood related to me, other than my personal family here. But you know what? We are all family, and I, I think about these people that go to church with me as being my family. They're like my brothers and my sisters in Christ. They are, and uh, it, it's a wonderful thing. You know. When I think about a fellowship with God and fellowship with other Christians, uh, that is what causes us to have joy. Our joy comes from being in fellowship with the Lord and His people. And it's a joyful thing. Hey, if you're not going to church right now and you're a Christian, you're missing out. You need to get together with your family. You know, and we have a family reunion every time we get together to church. Yes, and if fellowship is God's answer to the loneliness of life, then joy is His answerness to the emptiness and the hollowness um, of life. Yeah. And that, that brings us to verse 4 here, and uh, just one short little verse, and it says, And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Now, basically, sin uh, has caused all the unhappiness in our world. Right. Um, if you look around at what's going on in our world today, um, you know, sin promises joy, but ultimately it produces sorrow. Mm -hmm. And it's only through... Um, the word of life, as John said, yes, that life that was manifested, Jesus Christ, that John tells us that we can have more joy than we could ever imagine. Yeah. It's when we're in with him and we're one with God and we have the fellowship, as you said, with our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, mm -hmm. where joy is just, uh, it's it's un, uncountable. It's, a, it's amazing joy that you have. And yeah. yes, there could be many things going around you that are going terribly wrong. Um, I don't know. There could be like a pandemic or there could be, yeah. <laughs> you know, all of these terrible things that are happening. Riot. Riots. Um, yeah. And riots in the streets and, and, and everything else. But you still have this joy inside you because mm -hmm. uh, you have a relationship and a fellowship with God the Father and with your fellow uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Hey, speaking about fellowship, I want to point out that uh, sonship and fellowship 
um, they're different. Sonship has to do with being in the family of God. It's a relationship which uh, came about through the new birth experience. The only way to get into God's family is to be born of the Spirit of God. And once you're born spiritually, born again, you never lose your sonship. It is an eternal relationship. Every Christian has sonship, but not every Christian has fellowship. By that, I mean favor with God. You know, there's a big difference between sonship and and fellowship. The parent-child relationship is eternal, cannot be broken, but your child can uh, be out of your favor. There are some things that can enter in and come between you and your child and break that fellowship between you and them. And what John is trying to communicate to us in these verses is that just because we are sons, that doesn't mean that we are all the time in fellowship with God. And when we sin, it causes a break in our fellowship with, jo- with God, and it causes us to lose our joy, like you were talking about. That's very true. And, and you know, let, let's move on and we'll talk about verses five and seven because we're going to get into uh, just what you, you just spoke about there. And so verse five, it says, this is uh, the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. So there's one of those God is statements. Mm-hmm. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Uh, if we say that we are uh, we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. And so, mm-hmm. you know, Dad, again, a, a couple things that just stand out to me here. One of those big statements of God is light. Uh, and that is uh, John's way of saying that uh, God is infinitely holy, utterly righteous, and morally pure. And in him, there is no darkness. You know, it's interesting that the exact opposite of light is darkness, right? right. So where there is light, there can be no darkness. Right. And so um, darkness represents sin, represents worldly living, represents anything that's counter to God. And mm-hmm. and so uh, if you're living in darkness, you, you can't have light. It, the two can't be uh, side by side. And, and that's what we see here is in these verses, um, is that he's talking about if we say we have fellowship, but again we walk in darkness. That means we have sin and we have uh, we have um, you know uh, things that are, are against God in our life. And then we lie and we do not practice the truth, and that's where we break that fellowship that you were saying mm-hmm. um, because we can't have darkness and light together. It's impossible. That's right. Uh, there could be no fellowship between light and darkness. You know, the first thing God did in creation was to command the light to shine out of the darkness. Physical light bears the image and stamp of its creator, a God who is himself light. Consider some of the properties of physical light and see how they compare to God. Albert Einstein, he discovered that the speed of light in a vacuum never changes. He called the speed of light a fundamental constant. Likewise, God is always the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Isaac Newton, another scientist, he discovered that white light is made up of seven colors. Likewise, God reveals himself to us in all the diverse beauties of his being. Another wonderful property of light is that it cannot be defiled. Even though it passes, say, through a muddy glass of water, light is not defiled. Moreover, light can, and most certainly does, reveal defilement. Just as light in a room exposes the dirt and defilement that's hidden in the darkness, God being light exposes the darkness and the sin in our life. And you know, one final thing about light, Matt, is that uh, is that uh, light, life craves light. 
A plant will always turn toward the light and struggle to reach it. You know, beneath the sunshine of God's smile, life can flourish, take root and grow. As a Christian, our desire is toward God and He rules over us. And if you're a Christian, before you were saved, you were separated uh, from spiritual darkness uh, and you were brought into the light. You were brought into the light. You know, 1 Peter 2, 9 says, But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and his marvelous light. You know, I was thinking about when I was reading this, what is it, uh, what, what, what is walking in the light? What does that mean? And, and I, you know, I found a statement here that, uh, that I really think kind of captures it well. It says, to walk in the light means to spend time daily in God's Word, discovering His will and obeying uh, what He has told us. It also says that living in, in the light, um, when we live in the light, we, we walk in the light, uh, there's nothing that we can hide. And mm-hmm. as you said, light reveals uh, sin in our life. And and one of the things we're getting ready to get into is, you know, it's uh, once you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you are a Christian, that does not mean that you will never sin again. Right. We, we know that's not the case. We we definitely don't want to sin again, mm-hmm. uh, but we have a sinful nature. And um, we, we're still going to have those times where we slip up and we fall. And mm-hmm. so when you're walking in the light, it's going to expose that dirt, and that gives you an opportunity to fix it as immediately as you see it. You know, right, and mm-hmm. that—that's one of the things that's walking in the light. The other thing that I that I saw about walking in the light is, you know, walking in the light is living to please God and God only, mm-hmm. and that really simplifies our goals. It unifies our life, and it gives us a sense of peace and poise. And you know, there's a you know, I, I don't remember who it was, but she told the story one time about a professional football player that. Uh, has a tattoo and it, yeah. it's A O one, um, and it stands for audience of one. Yeah, and that's something that's always stuck with me, and and that's really uh, what this little statement here that I just read is about. Is once you focus in on that you're walking in the light, you're living in light, which means you're focused on only pleasing one person. Right, your life gets so much easier because you got an audience of one to please. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what the masses think about you. It doesn't matter what the person down the street thinks about you. Your only goal is to please one person, and that. That allows you to have so much more peace in your life when you know you're focused just on that one one person there while you're walking in the light. You know, a, a lot of Christians, certainly they have sonship, like I mentioned a while ago, but their fellowship is lacking. If I were to go around and ask uh, the average Christian sitting in a church pew, are, are you having fellowship with God? That Christian probably say yes. Many profess to have fellowship with God. To profess to have fellowship with God is a tremendous claim. Just think about it. By saying this, you're declaring that you share things with God, that you have things in common with God. In essence, since God is light, you're saying, I have come from darkness into the light. You are saying, I'm walking in the light. To walk means the way that we live our daily activity in the world. If we walk in the light, we're going to live, like you were talking about a while ago, a very holy life, a holy life. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of difference between profession and practice. What's those next verses? Did you read verse 6? Uh, yes, I, I read uh, verse 6 through 7 there. Um, it says, if, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we uh, walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. You know, many people profess more than they practice. Some are long on lip, but short on life. They can quote the Bible by the yard, but they live it by the inch. 
They profess a good game, yet they don't practice one. John says that if you don't practice what you profess, what are you? You're a liar. You're a liar. You're a liar. liar. There's the son of thunder coming out, right? That's right. He just lays it out there on the line. Um, And so that's a good point. In these verses here, we see if we say, uh, and then you can see it's kind of compared to if we do, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Which, you know, is very much what you're saying is that our actions, uh, our walk needs to match our talk. Right. In so many words. And we're going to see that uh, carry on into verse 8 through 10. So we'll go ahead and look there. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, uh, he, sorry, we make a liar uh, of him and his word is not in us. And so um, in these verses, a couple of things that I think comes out again, uh, remember our, our context here, uh, John is addressing false teaching. And, and so there's some false teachers at the time that were, were basically saying, you know what, um, you know, once you become a Christian, your old sinful nature is removed. And that's that's clearly not the case. We see that throughout the Bible. You know, uh, Paul wrote that he he wanted uh, not to sin, but it seems that his body wanted to do the things that he shouldn't do. Right. And you could just see him kind of agonizing over that. So um, this these verses say that, yes, you're, you're going to have sin. There's still going to be things that you, you mess up on, but we need to confess that sin. We need to get it right with God. And, you know, one of the things that came to me, Dad, is, uh, you know, it's very easy uh, for, for myself as being around church all my life. Uh, to really get into kind of what I, I've used the term platitudes a lot on this podcast. Um, I don't even know if I know what that means, but uh, that's the <laughs> word I continue to use. But it's right. just these sayings and, and and prayer that sometimes happens. You know, I, I've, I think about as I was reading this last night and I was like, you know, I can't think of how many times I've just uttered the statement. Uh, Lord, please forgive me for where I failed you. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I say that in my prayer, um, but that's not really what this is talking about here in these mm-hmm. verses. Is that we really need to confess our sins specifically, uh, not just say, God, please forgive me wherever I failed you. You know, He'll her work it out. We need to inspect our life. We need to call out these sins and say, you know, I've, I've got sins of of greed, or I've got sins of lust, or I've got oh, sins yeah. of or, of hatred, or whatever it may be, and name those sins to God and ask for forgiveness. And it says that, you know, he's he's faithful and he will forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us of that. But we have to bring it to him. If we mm-hmm. don't bring it to him, we run the risk of disrupting the fellowship that we talked about. Right. Because when there's sin in our life, we can't be effective with God. No. You know, the word confess means to say the same thing, to agree with. So when you confess your sins, you're agreeing with God about how awful and wretched your sins are. Now, There are three things that we should do when confessing our sins. You mentioned one of them. We should confess them personally. I mean, like you said, name them. Take ownership for them. Name your sins, not your excuses. And uh, another thing, we should confess them immediately. You know, King David, you talked about him a few weeks ago, you know, after he committed his sin with Bathsheba of adultery and premeditated murder with Uriah. He knew that he had sinned against God, and he covered his sin for an entire year. And we read those scripture passages a few weeks ago about how miserable David was while he covered his sin. You know, he should have confessed that sin immediately, but it took 
God sending a prophet, Nathan, to point the finger and say, Thou art the man. You're the one that's done wrong, David. Well, we, we need to confess our sin immediately because we don't want to go a day without being in fellowship with God. Confess him personally and confess him confidently. Like you said, that God has promised that he would forgive. That word forgive means to send away. You know, when God forgives your sin, he puts it as far as from the east is from the west, and the two never meet. And the word cleanse means free from impurity or spotless. You know, I like those hymns we sing in the church. What can wash away my sin? Nothing Nothing but but the the blood of Jesus. And then there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. You know, and and then this section of verses you I talked about losing fellowship, and that's obviously uh, one of the risks here um, of not confessing, particularly for Christians who are supposed to be walking in the light. Then we need to to get the sin that's in our life and confess it so that we can be forgiven. And you know, I think of an example um, of how this happened to me. Um, it's been about a year ago, uh, the, right right around this time, and um, I was harboring some anger and some uh, just uh, some bitterness in my heart, and I was getting up every morning. As I do, I do my quiet time early in the morning, uh, you know, four four o'clock, four thirty in the morning, and uh, yeah, spend time in prayer and reading scripture. And uh, there for a few days, as I was doing it, I felt like there was, I, f- I felt like there was no power in it. I felt like I was was praying and it wasn't going anywhere. And um, you know, God really convicted me and said, you know what, you, you've got some some things in your life you need to get straight with me. And so I got down on my knees and I confessed where I had held this bitterness and this resentment against um, a person and and asked for forgiveness because obviously that's not the way that I'm supposed to live as mm-hmm. as a child of God. And as I confessed that and I and I got freedom from it uh, because that's what forgiveness is, is freedom right. uh, from that penalty of sin, um, my relationship was restored again because then mm-hmm. I, I could I could read the Bible and I could pray and I could feel God's Spirit right there with me. Yeah. When I didn't do that, there was a block. There mm-hmm. is like a physical block that was between me and, and my Heavenly Father. And so I would encourage all of our listeners to think about, um, you know, or is there sin in your life that you need to confess? We talked about repentance a couple weeks ago, and, you know, we're not necessarily hitting on that today, but uh, confession is part of it. You got to name it and say, God, you know, I've been... I've been trying to live two lives. I've been trying to walk with one foot in the light and one foot in the dark. And we hear here from John that that clearly cannot happen. Right. And I need to get this straight. And once you do that, then your fellowship will come back to God. And uh, it's the best life ever when you have that fellowship connection with God the Father and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. You know, I think about that verse that says that if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord won't hear. It's not that he doesn't actually hear what's coming from our mouth, but he won't hear in regard to answering our prayers. That's why it seems like our prayers get no further than the ceiling, because we've got to uncover that sin. We covered it, but we've got to allow God to uncover that sin. We've got to confess that sin to God. And, and the, you know, it's an amazing thing. It says in verse 7 that, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from sin. The blood of Jesus was shed when we trusted him as our Lord and Savior. He forgave us of all of our sins. But the good news is it keeps on cleansing. It, it keeps, keeps on, on cleansing. And, you know, that's perfect because it brings us into the next uh, verses here. We're going into the first part of chapter 2. We're only going to be in verse 
verse one and two uh, for this uh, particular episode. Um, but it keeps, as, as Dad said, it keeps cleansing. And let's read these verses, and we'll find some truths here. It says, My children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate uh, with uh, the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation uh, for our sins, and mm-hmm. not just for our sins only, but also for the whole world. And, you know, Dad, these are probably some of my favorite verses mm-hmm. uh, in First in John. I'm sure I'll get to more that I'll, I'll cling to. But the idea that we have an advocate whenever we do fall as Christians, yeah. that we're, we're going to mess up, it's going to happen. Uh, we're going to live our life in a way that hopefully we can resist temptation as we grow in our spiritual life and we have the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's going to happen that we're going to we're going to slip up from time to time. Right. Um, it's such a beautiful thought to see that we have an advocate. Right. And, you know, the term advocate comes from uh, really the legal system, right? And uh-huh. so, you know, if you are going to, to court and you've done something wrong, you have an advocate, which in our modern terms, we say a lawyer, an attorney that represents you. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jesus is doing on our behalf. And so yeah. we have have, uh, imagine this court seeing this happening here. We have us, a, a, a Christian, uh, but a Christian who has fallen and has uh, committed a sin and is uh, and is there and is being advocated for by Jesus Christ. Right. And we have an accuser, Satan. Yeah. Satan is our accuser, and he's trying to say, look at all this stuff that this old boy did. Uh, you know, he's not worthy. He needs to just be, you know, come on with me, and I'll take yeah. him out of here. And uh, and Jesus advocates for us to the Father and says, you know what? No, no, no. No, no, this one, this one here's mine. Uh, this one is paid for. This one's been purchased. This one's been bought. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my favorite songs is "It's Under the Blood." Yeah, and he says it's under the blood. This one's taken care of, and uh, and that is case closed. Verdict is there uh, of not guilty. It's just some amazing verses that we see there um, mm-hmm. in the first part of chapter two. What what do you see in chapter two, Deb? Well. Um I think that perhaps some that might have been reading uh, the first few verses of John in chapter 1, they might have thought, well, hey, if it's that easy to be forgiven, I'll just sin and ask God to forgive me of that sin. Well, listen, John wasn't writing to encourage sin. No, no, no. He wasn't doing that. He was writing to help us to see that we don't need to sin, but if we sin, like you said. I like what you talked about, like Satan, he's the accuser. Uh, Christ is our advocate. I heard it said that when we sin, a spiritual trial begins. As a Christian, Jesus is your defense attorney. Satan's your prosecuting attorney. You know, I'm just glad that Jesus is my defense attorney, aren't you? Oh, yes, the same here. Jesus is not only our advocate, but I also want you to note that the Bible tells us that he, in verse 2, is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means the satisfying of God's holy law. Now, the law of God is that if you sin, then there's a penalty for sin, and that penalty is death. You remember over in Genesis two seventeen, God told Adam, he was showing him, you know, the trees in the garden, and then he pointed out that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was put there in that garden to allow Adam to make a choice. You know, he didn't make Adam as a robot that he had to serve him. He gave him a free choice. And if Adam chose to disobey God, well, God said it was going to be death. He said, you shall eat of any of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but you shall not eat of this particular tree. He said in chapter 2, verse 17, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You know, Ezekiel eighteen twenty says, the soul that sinneth shall die. 
Paul said, you, you like Romans, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. On the cross, Jesus was our sinless substitute. If he would have had sin, he couldn't have been our substitute. So he came to pay the penalty for our sin to make it possible for God to uphold his justice. He would have to carry out the death penalty, but also make it possible for sinners to be forgiven. Well, Dad, we're uh, almost out of time here, and I tell you what, this has been, uh, I think this probably is my favorite episode that we've done yet. Yeah. Um, And so uh, just some great uh, material that we've gone through here. I want to encourage everyone to uh, tell your friends um, about the Bonefire Podcast and about the Blessed Assurance uh, Bible study uh, or or a podcast series that we're going through right now. Uh, We really want to get the word out. As I've said before, you know, we're a small operation, and so we need word of mouth. Uh, So if you enjoy what you're hearing here, please tell someone to join us. Maybe get a couple of uh, your friends together who are listening. Have that little small group. We'll get some tools out to you so that you can uh, study a little bit more and discuss this uh, content a little bit more. And uh, when we pick up next time, we'll be continuing on in uh, chapter two. We'll pick up there at verse three and uh, continue just to move on through First John. So, um, again, thank you guys for listening. Please tell everyone that you know. And, Dad, if you will, pray us out of here. All right. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for allowing my son and I to have this study with the listeners to our podcast today. Uh, on First John. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus is our advocate. Lord, we don't want to sin. Lord, our desire is your children is to please you and serve you. But God, we're so grateful that if we do mess up, if we do sin, if we ask for forgiveness and we confess our sin and turn away from our sin, uh, that you will forgive us. And Lord, you are our You are our defense attorney, Lord, against that old prosecuting attorney of the devil. Our Heavenly Father, we're also grateful that uh, Jesus didn't just die for us, but he died for the sins of the whole world. That means that if there are people out here listening to us today that have not asked Jesus to forgive their sin, that their sin can be forgiven because Jesus died for them. Lord, I pray that those that already that believe in Jesus, that they will accept him right now as their Savior and their Lord, the one that they will serve, just simply asking him today to forgive them. And Lord, we just want to rejoice that we have this opportunity to get this message out of the good news. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonefire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.